The day after Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, she gave a speech to all those present at the ceremony that weekend. And in it, she dispelled any notion that she was a social worker or an activist. Wait, this is Mother Teresa. Like she, she is, she's the name that's associated with social work and activism. How could she say this? Uh, Mother Teresa founded an organization called the Missionaries of Charity, and through this organization, which grew from 12 volunteers to thousands of volunteers over the years, she served the poorest of the poor in over 450 different locations from Albania to Calcutta to some weird place called New York State. Mother Teresa was one of the first people to establish a home for people suffering from AIDS. And, and for more than 50 years, she cared for people who no one wanted to care for. She's literally the name associated with selfless charity in the world. And how is she going to tell people that she's not a social worker and she's not an activist? It's because she claimed that anyone who saw her life's work in that way got it actually backward. She said, in the, in the speech that she gave, the day after she won the Nobel Peace Prize, she says, I believe that we are not real social workers. We may be doing social work in the eyes of the people, but we are really contemplatives in the heart of the world. She goes on to say, she said, to be able to do this, which is all the service, all the social work, all the activism, our lives have to be woven with prayer. Everything she was awarded for she says, is the result of a life primarily devoted to prayer. Her compassion, her social work, her work for justice for the poor, the marginalized, the unwanted people was just a natural response to her prayer life. So much so that she, as she saw it, anyone who understood it the other way got it backward. Everything she did, everything she accomplished all started with prayer. Of course she prayed. I mean, of course, it's Mother Teresa. Of course she prayed. She probably started every single day with prayer. She probably, not only that, she probably ended every day with prayer. She probably lived into 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which says pray continually. She actually understood what that means. She's Mother Teresa for crying out loud. And, and good for her. Like, she prayed. That's really, that's really great for her. But is that your reality? Like, is that true for you? You try to institute a discipline of prayer in your life, and it doesn't always work, right? You see everyone else's prayer life, and, and it's so vibrant. Everyone else's prayer life is so holy, so better, so much richer than your own. And you look at someone like Mother Teresa, and you feel so small and insignificant when it comes to your own prayer life. But hey... Let's take it a little closer to home. Uh, the pastor gets up here every Sunday morning, whether that's me, Pastor Rex, someone else, and preaches and, and, and then prays, usually prays at the end of the sermon, and those prayers are so good, if I, don't say so, if I do say so myself. Um, those prayers are so rich. Like, oh, man, you could, never, you could never pray like that. Or you're in a small group, and you, you have that one person in your small group. They are a prayer, and you know who I'm talking about. They pray so well. They say the right words in the right ways at the right time, and you're like, man, they've got an amazing prayer life. Wow, I could never attain that. I could never measure up. Have you ever seen those videos on Instagram or I guess TikTok? Um, they're Instagram versus reality videos. 
They're like, there's like this one person who's standing on the edge of a mountain, looking over a mountain lake, and it seems like they're the only ones there in the entire world, and it's just them and wilderness. And then the person taking the video pans out, turns the camera this way, and sees 472 other people waiting their turn to be the only ones in the world for their Instagram post. Uh, there's a couple more examples. I actually want you to visualize this, so check this out on the screens. I love that. It's like, they're the only ones in this rooftop pool, and then all of a sudden, the world is with them. There's one more. Check this one out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love the younger son. He's like, no, mom. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, so sometimes perception is different than reality. I, I'm not claiming to, to, to believe that Mother Teresa isn't really who she sh said she was, but in general, when we start looking at others and comparing their whole selves to, uh, our whole selves to their outer selves, there's, there's a danger because perception is different than reality. When someone looks a certain way or acts a certain way, there might just be a whole nother story underneath. And this is not a new thing. Even Jesus knew this to be true. We're in the middle of a series called Living from the Inside Out, where we're really deep diving into the Sermon on the Mount. This is the thing that's, it's generally called that. It's chapters, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And it's when Jesus talks to a bunch of people who are sitting on the side of a hill. And in today's passage, he's going to talk to them. He's going to teach them about prayer. And he teaches them, but he's also teaching us. I believe that there's a huge, huge thing to learn and understand here when it comes to prayer. And like I said, perception is sometimes different than reality. And sometimes uh, the outside doesn't always match the inside, and Jesus know this, knew this all so well when he preached these words to a group of people on the side of a mountain 2,000 years ago, and as he's saying these words to us today. So we're going to pick up the Bible here in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says, and Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. I, uh, I love checklists. Do you love checklists? Especially in the back-to-school season. Like, I loved being able to say, okay, do this, don't do that. Checklist, checklist, checklist. I get to see this. It's black and white. It's easy. I can follow the rules. Checklists. We're going to see a checklist here. In fact, this entire sermon is called the essential checklist for prayer. I love it. I get, I, we get to put things into black and white, and this is Jesus' checklist for prayer. So he starts, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Okay, there's hypocrites. What, what's going on here? What are, what are they doing that we're not supposed to do? Jesus goes on, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Okay, back up a second. Don't be like the hypocrites who are praying on street 
corner. Don't pray in public? Is that really what Jesus is saying here? It seems very black and white, right? Don't pray in public. Uh, What's actually going on? Who are these hypocrites that are actually getting this wrong? What are they doing? And I think we need to know what the word hypocrite means in order to kind of unpack what is going on here. The original meaning of the term hypocrite goes way back into ancient Greece. And it actually came from a word that, that meant somebody who was an orator or an actor in a play. Somebody who put on a disguise for the purpose of pretending to be someone else in the role of a, of a play or a performance. It was someone who laid aside their true identity and assumed a false identity. They were impersonating someone else. Today, the word essentially means the same thing. Someone who's wearing a figurative mask and, and pretending to be someone or something they're not. So Jesus, what are you saying? Don't be like the hypocrites. He's saying that there were first century hypocrites who put on a false identity of being amazingly close to God in prayer, and they put it on for all to see. I love the details here. Uh, they would pray in the synagogues, as one should in those days. They should go to the synagogue. That's where, that's where prayer was supposed to happen. Uh, but they would do it in such a way that made them look better than everyone else. They did it in such a way that made them look holy, and it put them on display. They were standing, and they were making sure that other people could see them when they prayed. And not only that, they prayed on the way to church. They had a life that seemingly was so holy they couldn't wait to pray in the proper place of prayer in the first century. They had to do it on the way, on the streets. But not only just the streets, the street corners. The places that were prominent. The places they'd get the most visibility. The places that people would see them. They were so anxious about making an impression of being so close to God in prayer and being such a righteous person, being such a person who, who's so good, they couldn't wait for the proper place of prayer and they did it on the street corners. It would be like me going to the corner of Route 9 and 146. You know how busy that is? Now that Chick-fil-A's there, especially? It'd be like me going to that corner on a Sunday morning before church, raising up my arms and saying, just, just praying at the top of my lungs. And everyone who would go by the corner of Route 9 and 146 would say, oh man, look at that guy. He's got such a great relationship with God. He's a regular Mother Teresa. And these individuals that Jesus is referring to here in the first century, they, they're primarily religious leaders of the day as we see elsewhere throughout the Gospels. And they love to pray, not out of a love of God. They love to pray out of a love of themselves and being seen as a righteous person. And so here in Matthew chapter 6, we see the essential checklist for prayer. And the checklist starts with this. Don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to be seen. Because Jesus knows that there's a difference between what's posted on Instagram, or in this case, what's prayed for on a street corner, and reality. Uh, let's check out verses six and seven of Matthew chapter, or verses seven and eight, sorry. He, Jesus goes on, he says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is throwing punches here. It's great. There were people in his day who heaped phrase upon phrase and words upon words in order to make their prayers more 
significant. Some pagans, uh, which is just referring to people who had a religion that was outside of, of the Christian religion, outside of the, the, the uh, Jewish religion of that day, they worshipped other gods, gods that actually were empty and religions that were empty. And they thought, these pagans thought, that if they just said enough words and repeated enough phrases in a certain way, that their gods would hear them. We see this really uh, clear in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. It says, They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Baal, answer us, they shouted, from morning till noon. That's at least three hours. But there was no response, and no one answered. They just thought that if we say this enough, we've repeated enough, then we can get our God to do something, that we would be seen as impressive and significant before our God, and he would answer. We also find this in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 19, there's a bunch of people uh, shouting in unison, in verse 34, for two hours, saying, great is Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, over and over again for two hours, thinking that if they said this enough, if they repeated it enough, their God would hear them, their God would be impressed by them, and their God would answer. But prayer isn't empty, accumulated phrases. Real prayer isn't empty, idle repetitions. And it's an unfortunate understanding of many people in our world, even today, that if they simply say the right words, repeat the right phrases, or, or pray through a routine of prayers enough times that the, there would be a God who is impressed by them and will grant them anything they wish, and that by doing so, they'll have an abundant life of prayer and then a growing relationship with God like that of Mother Teresa. So here's checklist item number two. Don't pray to impress. So don't pray to be seen, number one. Don't pray to impress, number two, because Jesus knows that there's a difference between what's posted on Instagram, or in this case, the formulaic, repetitive prayers of people who are actually empty on the inside, and reality. And while it's really easy for us to open the Bible and judge the hypocrites and pagans and say, yeah, man, they are awful, aren't they? <laughs> Those religious leaders, they just got it wrong so many times. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Wait, 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 wait. Just like it's easy to fall prey to those temptations in the first century, it is so easy for us today to fall to the same temptations, to draw attention to ourselves in order to be seen and honored by others, and to use formulas to try to make sure our prayers are impressive and effective, when in reality, we're empty. Jesus knew that it was a temptation back then, making their lives look greater on the outside than when everything on the inside was broken. And Jesus knows that there's a real temptation today to make our outside lives look great when everything isn't all that great on the inside. So those, those are the two first checklist items for those who were listening 2,000 years ago and for those who are hearing God's word today. Checklist item number one, don't pray to be seen. And number two, don't pray to impress. So what do we do? These are negatives. What's the positive? Like, what are we actually supposed to do 
in order to, to have a checklist of prayer, and that's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7, or verses 6, sorry. And it says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to impress. Do pray in secret. Go to your room. Go to your room. Pray privately. Again, is Jesus anti-prayer? No, he's not. In fact, later in chapter 6, he, he gives a model for prayer, and in that model, things are plural. And so it's actually a model of prayer to, intended to be prayed together in a group. Jesus then actually prays in a group publicly. When he takes a meal that's intended for 5,000 plus people, he prays over it in front of others. And then the disciples and Acts, all over Acts, they pray publicly. So if Jesus is actually anti-public prayer, then the disciples broke the rules and Jesus himself broke the rules. So what is Jesus really saying? Well, he's saying you don't have to give up praying with your kids at night. He's saying you don't have to give up praying at the dinner table. You don't have to give up praying in a church service, which, whew, okay, thank you. Whew, I'm so glad that that's covered. We don't have to give up praying together. But what is he saying? Don't pray in public. Do pray in private. You see, this teaching is simply to help us purify our motives for praying. What motives do you bring to the table when you offer up a prayer? Where is your heart when going to God publicly in prayer? You see, private prayer is difficult to do out of false motives. Private prayer is not live streamed on Instagram. Private prayer is not spoken up here from a platform. No one will see it. It's just you and God and any prayer prayed in private would be simply a prayer for prayer's sake, not a prayer for self-adoration. So it might be just better for you. If you struggle with praying in public for the wrong motives, it might be good for you just to pray in private to keep your motives pure. But when we do pray in public, what do we do? Here's three simple questions I would love for us to look at today briefly. Three questions you might want to ask yourself to see where you land with your motives. Do I pray more often when I'm alone with God than I do in public? Like, do I pray more often when I'm alone? Do, do my alone private prayers actually outnumber my public prayers? The second question is this, do I pray more passionately when I am alone with God than I do in public? And the third question is this, is my public prayer life simply the overflow of my private prayer life? If the answer to these questions are no, then you may be in danger of praying with the wrong motives. And you, like the hypocrites, will receive the reward that you're looking for. And that reward is simply the praise and honors, honor of, of others. When I was in 10th grade, I went to a summer camp, and I had been at this summer camp for a number of years before as a camper, late elementary school into middle school and even freshman year of high school. But in 10th grade, I went to this summer camp as a volunteer 
Uh, it was kind of a, a leader in training type of camp. And so instead of a one-week camp, I went there for two weeks. And essentially, I was seen as one of the staff members for those two weeks. I helped in the kitchen. We served meals. We did work projects. We worked on trails. And the first day of this camp, we were assigned to the parking lot to help all the younger kids, all the elementary kids and all the middle school kids get to the right place. And I was stoked. I was so excited because I would be the first person that these little campers would see when they arrived at their summer camp experience. I'd be the guy in the orange vest with the orange cone directing them the right way and everyone would look at me and think, that guy knows what's going on because he works here. He has a vest on. He has an orange cone. He may even have a name tag under that. I don't even know. But like, man, he knows what's going on. And I would be seen as important. So myself and the other, the other volunteer campers who were there in 10th grade, we lined up to get our orange vest and our orange like flashlight cone. You know what I'm talking about? And it just so happens that the person in front of me in line got the last orange vest and the last orange flashlight cone. Seriously? I was devastated. No one would look at me and think, that guy knows what's going on. No one would look at me and, and think, oh, I can go to him because he has all the answers. And so we all went to the parking lot. Even though I didn't have a vest, I didn't have a flashlight cone, we went to the parking lot, and I stood there, and I was miserable. I was a jerk. Like, seriously, I, was, I, I, I didn't do much. I was like, yeah, go that way. Yeah, go that way. Welcome to camp. <laughs> go that way. 10th grade Tim, you don't want, I don't know, you just don't want it. And then, by the grace of God, one of my camper buddies said, you know what, Tim, I'm going to use the restroom, take my vest, take my cone. And I had power. People saw me. People knew me. They recognized me as someone who is important. I got what I was looking for. And that's exactly what this, the hypocrites in the first century got, and that is praise and honor from others. But like Jesus in, in verse 5 said, I've received my reward in full. I got what I was looking for. I got my reward, but it was not just a little reward. It was my reward in full. The language that is used here is essentially the same as a commercial transaction. They got, and I got in 10th grade, an earthly reward for what we did. Receipts were given. The transaction is done, and they would not in the first century get any of the other rewards that Jesus talks about in the Gospels that's reserved for people who are praying with the right motives. You see, prayer from the heart is intended to be between you and God, not you and your image. So our checklist is do not pray to be seen, don't pray to impress, do, do pray in secret. And you know, as much as I love black and white to-do lists and checklists, this is not one of them. As much as I love just to look at a checklist and be like, check, check, I'm feeling good about my Christianity, check, check, check. This falls short because it doesn't get at the heart of the actions. And hey, if we're honest, Christianity is not a checklist 
all, after all. Like, it's, it's just not. It's actually a relationship of love between our Heavenly Father and His children. And there's a huge difference between the checklist of church behavior and the outside matching inside nature of a true Christ follower's behavior. I'll say that one more time in case you missed it. There's a huge difference between the checklist of church behavior and the outside matching inside nature of a true Christ follower's behavior. Because that's what Jesus is really after here. That our outside actions match what's going on in the inside of our heart. And for some of you, that scares you because you know what's going on in your heart. You know what is not great inside of you, and that's scary. But the good news is that God is in the business of changing people. And God can work with anyone who is humble and ready for growth. So if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I don't think my inside motives match my outside actions, and I want to change that, God is ready to work with you. How? Three thoughts. Confess your motives. Ask God to change you. And be ready to follow God's leading as you read his word and as you engage with his people. You see, Jesus uh, knew this. Mother Teresa knew this. And it's for us to know as well today that prayer isn't a checklist after all. It's the communication between our Heavenly Father and us, his loved children. Okay, Pastor Tim, like that's great, that's all good, but I'm still afraid of doing it wrong. Like maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you're thinking right now, I feel like I can't pray. I know it's primarily a heart thing. I know it's a motive thing. But when I sit down to pray, even in private, nothing good comes out. It's, I'm just not a good prayer. I'm not like you. I'm not like those in my small group how I put up on a pedestal. I'm, not, I'm nothing like Mother Teresa. Can I tell you a secret? Like, can I, can I tell you a secret? No? Yes, yes, okay, a couple of you, so the rest of you just have to hear it. Um, this is the secret, this, it's like the secret sauce in Chick-fil-A sauce, or the secret ingredient in Chick-fil-A sauce. You know what that is? Don't say it out loud, because I'm about to tell you. The secret ingredient in Chick-fil-A sauce, when it was invented in the 1980s by a guy who owned and operated a Chick-fil-A in a mall, he put some things together, and then a few days later, he put something else in there, and that something else that he put in there made it Chick-fil-A sauce. It's barbecue sauce. The addition of barbecue sauce is the secret ingredient in Chick-fil-A sauce. I hope I'm not giving away, like, company secrets, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, Chick-fil-A sauce has barbecue. It's the secret ingredient, and there's a secret ingredient in prayer as well. The secret ingredient in our prayer lives that when we understand it, when we engage with it, it's going to make everything else fall into place. And the secret ingredient was, is a phrase that was coined by a guy named John Chapman. He was an er, English Benedictine monk in the 1800s. And he let everyone in on the secret sauce that can change how you pray. And it's simply this. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Oh, we can also say pray as you can, not as you see others pray. Praise you can, not as what others put on display because only, the only heart that you can really know and be responsible for is your own. We can look 
pretty much anywhere in the Bible and find people praying as they can, praying out to God the prayers that are, that are really just what's on their heart. We're going to look at just a handful of prayers that David prayed in the Psalms. David is, I mean, he's the guy. He's the guy after God's own heart, right? He's the guy who prayed such awesome prayers, and we could look at the Psalms and see his, these amazing things that he cries out to God. But let me just read a couple for us today. David prayed this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's great. Man, that's good. We, we recite that often. Like we, this is one, that's one we know. It's Psalm 23, verse 1. How about Psalm 69, verse 3? I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. I mean, Psalm 23 is this like great picture. Psalm 69, verse 3, this is, this is brutally honest. Psalm 103.2 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's, that's pretty. It's, it's probably a song somewhere. But then there's Psalm 142.2, which says, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. Whoa. How dare David complain to God? But he, but he did. And then Psalm 145 too. Every day I will praise you and extol the name for your name forever and ever. That's something you would find like on a pillow at Hobby Lobby. It's just pretty. But then there's Psalm 140 verse 10. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire. Same guy. The man after God's own heart is praying beautiful prayers that are worthy of decorations at Hobby Lobby. And he's cursing others at the same time. Both are in the Bible. You see, David is the poster child for praying as he can. Someday his prayers are, are deserving of, of song lyrics, others not so much. And just like him, we have permission to pray as we can. Some days it's, God, I can't do it. Others, it's, God, you are so good. We can pray, God, today was awful. Where the heck are you? And other days we can pray, God, I can't wait for tomorrow because I know you're going to be with me. Pray as you can. Not as you think you need to. Because God's not a speech professor. God's not looking for this perfected speech who he's going to give you a grade at the end of the semester based on how well you did. He, he's not a professor. He's He's a heavenly father talking to his kids, wanting a conversation. In fact, did you, hear, did you hear the three words that are repeated in these verses that really put on display what God wants for us in prayer? He says, Father, three times. Listen to this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father 
knows what you need before you ask him. He's looking for a relationship, not well-prepared speeches. He's not even looking for perfect motives. He just wants to talk. Honestly, I think it would be better to tell God what is on our heart, like honestly, what is, God, what is on our heart than to try to fake it or to try to be like someone else. Because what others are doing might not even be all that authentic. It may just be some random Pastor Tim on the corner of Route 9 and 146 praying for the praise of others. Because what happens on Instagram or on street corners or with loud verbose, ver verbose and like lovely prayers may not equate to reality with empty prayers and lost people simply trying to search for and gain acceptance. So pray as you can. And that's an invitation for anybody anybody who is anywhere on the spectrum of your relationship with God. It's for people who are rookies with this whole prayer thing. It's for people who are questioning, and, and it's for the faithful. It, it's for the veteran. It's for anybody who's on this journey of prayer. Pray as you can. That's an invitation to start praying wherever you find yourself today and continue to learn as God grows you. And if you're looking for a place to start, we have, a, we have a women's Bible study who's going to be starting up on Tuesday, September 19th, and it's focused on prayer. It's a group that's going to look at six different prayers in the Bible and talk about what it means for us today and how we pray. We'd love for you to sign up for that, but if that's not for you or if you're not a woman, uh, there's going to be a QR code on the screen for the rest of our time today, and it's to a, an app called 24-7 Prayer. Actually, the app is called Inner Room, and the organization is 24-7 Prayer, and it's an app that will give you daily push notifications as much as you want them to push to give you reminders, to institute rhythms of prayer so that you can pray as you can. There's a ton, honestly, a ton of great resources out there on prayer, but here's the bottom line. Pray as you can not as others can. Praise you can, not as you can't in this given moment. And then be ready and available for God to grow you. You see, Mother Teresa had this understanding of prayer that, you know, without knowing her true motives or her true heart, because I'm not God, uh, her motivation for prayer changed her from the inside out. In her prayer life, prayer was the seed from which fruitfulness grew. The intimacy she had with God literally changed lives, and it can for us too. You see, we're in the middle of a 21-day prayer campaign where we've challenged you to pray for others every day at 11.03 or 11.02. Can't remember which one it is at the moment. <laughs> but uh, to pray for people who don't know Jesus. What if we simply prayed as we can for those people? knowing we're not going to get it right, we're not going to perfectly pray every single time. Could you imagine what happened? The impact Mother Teresa had on the world because she prayed was massive. The impact we could have on three people's lives because we pray can be huge. So what's holding you back? I just simply want to end this morning with three quotes. Three quotes that I think will help us take the next step 
Richard Foster once said, by praying, we learn to pray. Thomas Merton was known to say, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. And finally, Mother Teresa. If we really mean to pray and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. So right now, we're going to take a moment of prayer. We're actually going to just pause in our service and pray. And I don't want you to turn to someone next to you and pray. I don't want you to turn and watch someone next to you pray, because that's weird. Um, I, I want you to just simply sit between you and God, just, just in a, a moment of you and your Heavenly Father. And if you know your Heavenly Father, and this is a perfect, like, I do this every single day. This is nothing new. Great. Take this opportunity to pray. And if you're sitting here thinking, who's my heavenly father? Take a moment and recognize that there's someone, there's a, there's a creator of the universe that is here. He loves you so much that he created a way for you to be in a right relationship with him. Go to him today. Sit in silence. Confess your motives and ask God to grow you. We're also going to pass out communion as we sit in silence. Uh, the ushers are going to come forward right now, and, and they're going to grab the communion elements, and they're going to start passing these elements around. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you are a Christ follower, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, to take the bread and take the juice. Because this is a representation of Christ's body and his blood, and it's an opportunity for us to remember the fact that God loves us so much. His love is what motivated him to send Jesus to, to, to live, to die, and to rise again for us. And as you take those elements in your hands, just hold on to them. We're going to take them together as a family. But continue sitting in silence, just you and God, confessing your motives, asking God to grow you, and simply praying as you can.